This is the Doctor Who Podcast. You are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, we review Spaceship on Dinosaurs. No, 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 hang on a minute, that's not right. That's Earthshock. It's Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 161 of the Doctor Who podcast, where we'll be taking a look at the latest episode of Doctor Who, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Mm, yes, well, let's just remind ourselves of what we've just seen. Yeah, listen, I found something. What is it? I have no idea. Do you want to find out? Dinosaurs on a spaceship. You can help me so much more. Most yes. Oh, I'm so scared. So let's get into the meat and bones, bones, dinosaur bones of this episode. Dinosaurs on a Spaceship follows uh, probably one of the most impressive, uh, dynamic Doctor Who episodes uh, that, that certainly I have seen since the show came back. Can Dinosaurs on a Spaceship possibly hope to to, to trump that, to, to be as good or, or be better? James, your opinion, please. No. <laughs> <laughs> I had a sneaking suspicion. No, well, well, don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lay into it because I did actually enjoy the episode. But, um, but the accurate answer to the question posed is no. It's not as good as Asylum of the Daleks, um, and that's mainly because I, I it's completely different. Uh, quite deliberately, the, the, the feel, the atmosphere. Um, the way the Doctor is characterised in this episode is is massively different, <laughs> and um, I, I think it's it's fairly traditional now within New Who at least, to have episode two feel and look very different to mm. episode one in any of the series. And I, I think it's a, a good idea. And it also gives uh, the writers the opportunity to show the full range um, of, of Matt Smith's acting ability. And I think we are verging on schizophrenic, slightly crazy doctor here. Um, mm. f- save for about five minutes where he's talking to Fitch from Harry Potter, um, where, where he calms down significantly uh, mm. but but the, the remainder of this episode is the manic doctor that i've grown to quite like i have to say mm. um but yeah it, it's not without its problems at all and this this goes back all the way to uh, the podcast we recorded with ashley ashley freeze it's all about comedy and doctor who mm. um, and if you like this kind of comedy if you like silly robot comedy then you're going to love this episode but if that's not to your tastes you probably won't, and I'm I'm veering towards the latter there. Mm. Um, a little bit of oil came out was uh, a step too far for me. Uh, that's that's the only real element that I will say about this story that I actively disliked and mm. I wished hadn't been included. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the robots or the silly robots I can generally deal with in any kind of sci-fi 
program and if you look at Doctor Who think back to Waters of Mars where you had that small little robot I can't even remember what it was called now <laughs> gadget 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 thank you very much <laughs> and I, I didn't have a problem with that but this is a step too far and is purely a vehicle for the modern day equivalent of Hale and Pace in uh, in Mitchell and Webb mm-hmm. but uh, but that that's that's my gut instinct um, how about you Lisa and what's your initial reaction to this I mean I, my my initial gut reaction was that was that I didn't enjoy this uh, and um, one of the great things about being part of the DWP is that uh, we get the privilege to to, uh, to be able to watch these a little bit early so I had the opportunity to watch it a, a second time and I have to say that I got a lot more from it the second time I watched it, and, and I think I think the first time uh, my initial reaction was because it was so uh, it was so juxta- juxtaposed to the um, to the sign of the Daleks, and, and I, I like Doctor Who when it's when it's being treated seriously, when it when it's when it's a serious thing, and I think part of that is because I am now a fully grown adult, and hmm. I suspect that if I was uh, if I was a, a little kiddlywink. Uh, as I used to be back in the dim and distant past, that that I would have probably enjoyed this episode just as much, but for different reasons. And uh, now I'm 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 not I'm not sort of stony faced. I'm not opposed to comedy in Doctor Who, and I really really like um, the you know, Matt Smith's comedy portrayal and, as you say, schizophrenic performance. I like the fact that he can uh, he can go from extremely dark to extremely scatty and ext- extremely all over the place uh, you know, on on the the spin of a coin. Um, so yeah, I came back to this for for a second viewing, and uh, and I enjoyed it a lot more. The comedy robots, I thought I was going to like them a lot more than than I than I did, and and they didn't sit well with me even on the second viewing. Uh, and I, no- I notice on uh, on Wikipedia whether there's any relevance in this is a, at all, that but uh, the. the character or the, the actors that were due to or are down as playing the robots are different to to what we actually got we actually got <laughs> michelin webb who in britain are quite well known for playing um um that they're in a comedy sitcom uh, which is well, an adult comedy sitcom and they play housemates who uh, one of one of whom is, is is quite a serious guy with a serious job and the other one is is a bum and they have that kind of uh, sparring between each other so they're known as a double act uh, both in um, um Sort of situation comedy and um, and sketch shows in, in this country, so they're instantly recognisable to us. Uh, probably not to uh, to a transatlantic audience or a worldwide audience. So uh, and, uh, and to me, they felt a little bit shoehorned, and I I didn't really go for the for the toilet humour. I, I liked it. when I saw the advert uh, and there was the, there was the line, "We're very cross with you." I thought, "Oh, this is brilliant. We're going to get a Douglas Adams type." type. And I think this is probably the effect they were going for is a, is an a- Adamsian comedy robot, uh, and they didn't seem to work too too brilliantly. Mm. I think there was enough comedy in that episode without having them there. Um, I like the idea of dysfunct- dysfunctional robots that that uh, mm. that um, that have sort of human faults and human characteristics, uh, but no. They did seem to. They didn't work too well, and the a little bit of oil came out. Wasn't. I mean, I'm a fan of my toilet humour, as uh, <laughs> as listeners to this this podcast and, and my other podcast will will know and will know very well. But that was a little bit too much for me. But I I suspect the kids loved it, and I suspect that this episode uh, is aimed. Mm-hmm. Uh, precisely that sort of uh, that that market, uh, that's that that demographic <laughs> uh, to keep the kids happy. 
So you've got the doctor riding a triceratops. You've got, uh, and also there's an educational theme uh, with, with bringing in Queen Nefertiti. And uh, uh, so I, I suspect that there, there will be kids that will be going off and, and learning a bit more about uh, about uh, Egyptian uh, history. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Um, and, and I couldn't help be reminded of a big Finnish companion, Eremem, played by Carolyn Morris, who, of course, is a pharaoh, an Egyptian pharaoh, mm. and starred in a number of big Finnish plays over quite a number of years as well. And uh, there was definitely a comparison there. And, and yeah, th- th- there is an educational element to it. And I, 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 I'm not sure whether it completely worked and be- because they tried to use Amy as a vehicle for doing that. Now, Amy has demonstrated on a number of occasions that she's not very bright. And I think for her to suddenly know precisely who Queen Nefertiti is instantly... Uh, I, it doesn't quite ring true. Now, I might be being a bit a bit hard on the character of Amy there, but I was surprised that she knew exactly who she was. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether that, uh, that bothered me at all. <clears throat> she seemed to, uh, back in the end, tail end of Series 5, she, she, she had the school project and she was uh, obviously uh, a big history buff because uh, one of her biggest loves was, was the Romans and the Roman Empire and that, that's, how, that's how that whole, whole series sort of finished, that, that she'd studied the Romans. So I don't think it's entirely out of character that she would know Queen Nefertiti because uh, it's certainly a subject which is, which is covered when you, when, you, uh, when you learn about the Egyptians uh, at secondary school level. So uh, no, that didn't bother me so much. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad, and perhaps you're right that it is in keeping with her character, but even so, I still thought Amy was used to introduce the character, the, the real-life person, uh, Nefertiti, to the audience, because the Doctor wasn't around then, uh, and it just didn't seem right. Uh, Amy going, yes, I know who this person is, and I'm, I've got some lines so that everyone watching will know who she is as well. Felt just a little bit contrived, but that may have been that may have been, you know, that may have been just my interpretation of it. What I thought was good is how she'd nick Stephen Taylor's jumper out of the Celestial Toymaker. <laughs> I do. I did. I didn't pick up on that, but I was. I was taken by. We're finally seeing. Uh, Amy becoming an effective companion, which she has never been, and and th- this is a this is annoyed uh, lots of people in fandom that she is kind of has been in the past a, a kind of ineffectual companion. She wasn't asking the right questions. She was often too bothered with um, with perhaps uh, uh, flirting with, with whoever they'd found or mm. kind of uh, cosmetic things uh, of the, the journey through time and space um, without being uh, a useful companion. And River seemed to be the the useful companion the one that asked the questions the one that uh, moved the, the the story forward whereas in this you know she has obviously learned a lot from from her time with the doctor and i think we're seeing here her, her become that companion which i'm not so sure whether she's learned i'm not so sure whether she's learned i think her obsession was always with the doctor not necessarily with being a good companion <laughs> um I, I think you know it was very clearly demonstrated in the early parts of season five that her obsession and her passion was for this this man mm. as, as opposed to adventure space time and everything whereas now given the story that's played out and is to some degree behind her we, we're now seeing an amy who's quite keen to get away from what she considers to be normal life mm. and therefore playing that companion role gives her a very valid diversion the fact that she's now with the doctor as well i think just adds to her really putting a little bit of heart and soul into into a the situation she finds herself in if you think back to chris chibnall's other script in season five that was the silurian two-parter yeah. when amy is supposed to be negotiating on behalf of planet earth which just didn't work <laughs> um she looked 
bored. Mm. Now, you can say that's Karen Gillan not acting as well as she should have been, or the director not putting her up on it. But I wonder whether it was actually quite intentional, and the fact that she was in a room representing Earth without the Doctor, and of course, at that point, her focal point was the Doctor. Mm. It wasn't even Rory, you know. It was a, uh, it was being around the Doctor, and perhaps this is a, a sign of the times, a sign of how Amy's moved on and progressed um, since her introduction into season five. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't, I don't put any of any of the shortcomings of, of the Amy character that, that I've heard. Uh, I, I don't put down to uh, to Karen Gillan's performance. I think I think she's actually a very very good actress. Um, and I, I think I think that this this Amy story. I, I think I think this is all planned. I think these aspects of her personality that we don't like. Uh, I say we, but a proportion of fandom don't like or find the, the, the grates a little bit. I think these are all. I think these are all on purpose. And I, I think Stephen Moffat certainly knows what he's doing. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I think he's written a character who who is believable because I, I don't know anyone that I like one hundred and ten percent. You know that I like every aspect of their personality. So I think what he's actually done is he's written a very believable character uh, who has certain character traits that we don't like uh, and. And has the the um, and now as the series has gone on, has shown a propensity to be able to grow. And there was the scene where where she found the I don't know whether it was the control room um, or where the computer mm. was, where she found she found out what was going on on the ship. Uh, and it was what would the doctor do here? I've learnt a lot of things uh, travelling with the doctor. And the first thing is press lots of buttons. The second thing is don't <laughs> don't stop pressing buttons. And and she she was showing that she'd learnt this. And it was her that rang the doctor or rang. Um, Rory, who then passed the phone to the doctor, uh, and she gave him the key to unlock the puzzle, which to me is what is what the companion is all about. And in many ways, it's more realistic that someone should go travelling with the doctor and take a while to get up to speed than it is for someone to just to, to suddenly be with the doctor. And as Rose was, was suddenly incredibly very useful and... Uh, yeah, so this is a more realistic progression of a character, I think. Oh, precisely. And bear in mind, Amy is quite a, a profile-conscious individual. She describes herself as a queen uh, in, mm. in this episode. Um, but she's got competition all of a sudden because the Doctor has a gang, uh, which I think worked quite well. And she worked quite hard to make it very clear that she was the most experienced of this gang. She was the Doctor's number one. And therefore, she, she had to establish herself as an, as an important and capable individual and uh, I, I think on the whole it worked quite well I, I also quite enjoyed watching um, Amy in this story it was good to see her have a series of tasks that she not only identified herself that needed to be performed but went about them quite efficiently and quite admirably so much so that Riddell and Nefertiti followed her lead in the end mm. and uh, I, I think that was um, a very strong um, story strand, if you like, because there were there were two distinct strands here. You had the Doctor and Rory and Rory's father, who we'll talk about in a minute, <laughs> uh, go off onto onto the beach, and Amy holding the fort really with the two new companions. And I, I like the way this worked. I really like seeing the Doctor with two male companions <laughs> because it just hasn't been done before. No one has had the guts to to say people are going to be interested in watching this and sure it wasn't for the entire episode and uh, I, I, I just think the way the Doctor and Rory riff off each other probably mirrors how the two actors relate to each other in real life mm. because normally you get the best performances from the actors when they're not actually trying that hard uh, to be different from 
how they are as a, as a real person. Mm. And we've we've been lucky enough to see um, Matt Smith and Arthur Darville on stage together, and they are pretty much a double act. And uh, you know they they've clearly set up jokes uh, so that each of them get laughs. And I, I just think this is taking it further and I'm, I'm taking advantage of that relationship. And uh, I, I just really enjoy. Rory shouting at the doctor it's it's very funny <laughs> yeah Arthur Dovell has a very good sense as does Matt Smith of, of comic timing uh, and and yeah this is an evidence as you say when we when we've had the opportunity to see them on stage but yeah this this does bleed into into their performance and Arthur Dovell even even on his own uh, I, I'm, I'm minded of some of the scenes where he is initially dropped straight into the asylum in the previous episode uh, where he is is doing the comedy turns um, with the inactive Daleks who then start to become active and even with not a lot to work against he's still very good at his timing he's uh he's much underrated uh, as as a companion i mean there was a there was a time certainly in series uh the tail end of series five and a lot of series six where he he really did take on the companion role he was far more of an effective companion than, than amy was and i i like that, that you've got that vying for position um in the tardis uh, and yeah, he's always been a, he's always been a favourite of mine. Yeah, no, I, I, and I agree with you. I think he's a very important part of the program uh, as it is at the moment. And I think we will feel his departure almost as much as as Amy's in a couple of episodes' time. Uh, but let me ask you one quick question. I mean, one of the things that we didn't focus on hugely uh, in the last episodes was the relationship between Amy and Rory. And clearly, they'd <laughs> well, I think they got divorced at the beginning. Of, uh, of of asylum and the beginning of dinosaurs it's 10 months later or well is it 10 months later this is what i wanted to ask you it's 10 months since amy and rory had seen the doctor because that's articulated but does that mean it's 10 months since the events of asylum what a question uh, and I, i'm not sure really really where you're where you're going with this uh, uh, in a show like doctor <laughs> who uh, yeah, time, time, time is is so elastic, and I, I think this is something that Stephen Moffat does very well. He sort he, he articulates that very well through the medium of the show. That you know, travelling with the Doctor and this um, almost immortal person who who drops in and out of your life, and, and this is another aspect I like about uh, the way this series is going. This idea of him dropping in and out, uh, and time passing. There's even a line in this one where it said, "Our friends are going to begin to notice that we're aging quicker than them." Yeah, uh, and that's something that always fasc- fascinated me when I was a kid when I used to watch the old show. You just you used to think, <laughs> um, well, so he's picking these people up. They go off on these wonderful adventures. When they when he drops them off, does no one notice that they've got any older? And these are the kind of things that kids do notice, uh, and, and kids. Uh, and and it, Doctor Who, as a show when I was a kid, expanded my brain. Um, uh, I didn't realise it at the time. I, I realise it now, both in uh, its moral outlook uh, and, and and just the, the the size and the depth of the ideas that it that it places before you when your brain is is still growing and still uh, still expanding. Uh, it, it's a wonderful show for posing unanswerable questions. I wondered how you were going to get back to that, but uh, but yes, um, it, it was nicely nicely fielded there. But I I wonder, and I don't really believe it, but I think it certainly is open to question are we seeing an amy and rory here before the events in asylum of the daleks have taken place now that there isn't anything other than common sense you could argue to suggest that it most certainly is taking place later in their time stream but if you consider pond life which you know as, as you rightly said 
shows the Doctor dropping in and out of their lives at various different points. And there was, a, I think it was episode two, possibly episode three of Pond Life, shows a flash forward to parts of what we're now seeing, season seven. Is that not perhaps saying, you know, linear storytelling has gone now, it's a thing of the past, you know, if, if you follow this programme you may pick up on it, but if you if you don't watch every episode religiously it's not going to bother you, you can still get something out of it. I'm, I'm just wondering whether or not Moffat is once again playing around with linear storytelling. Uh, it's entirely possible, and that would tie into the... Uh, as I think it's only on the the, Ameri- the BBC America trailer where it says every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end, not necessarily in that order. Precisely. Uh, so, Precisely. yes. Yeah. I, I the, more, hmm, the more we talk about this and the more I think about it, it is a possibility. Because, again... I don't remember precisely here, but I cannot specifically recall any reference to episode one in episode two. No, you you, you could be onto something here, James. Uh, would this be a kooky theory of the week moment? <laughs> Probably. I mean, bearing in mind my most credible kooky theory so far was to identify the flesh in last season as the genesis of the Sontarans. And looking mm. at how accurate that turned out to be, I wouldn't listen to me at all, frankly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you another question. Did you catch the first reference to the 50th anniversary in this script? No. Good. Because I did. <laughs> Shall I tell you what it is? Oh, go on then. Go on then. Spill the beans. The Doctor is Sagittarius. Probably. Ah, of course, of course. It, it, it was something that uh, that I did... Yeah, I did think. Oh, it's a strange line, but uh, yeah, hadn't, not being uh, not being a horoscope reader, I wouldn't have known that Sagittarius was was November. <laughs> yes, no, I couldn't stop grinning from ear to ear when I heard that. And about oh, it must have been about two or three hours after I'd watched it, I received a text from Tom to say mm. Sagittarius. Of course, he is Sagittarius, November. <laughs> ah. And I think that I think that's fantastic. And I wonder whether we're going to get any other very subtle references uh, to either the Doctor's birthday, alleged birthday, mm-hmm. or in the real world, the anniversary. Okay, let me throw a question at you. Ooh, okay. And this is just one point that I found a little bit difficult to reconcile, given well, given what I understand the Doctor to be. Why was he such good friends with Riddle? It was like you know they they were best friends uh, and and given that riddle is is famous for you know playing a huge part in the extinction of of, of whole species <laughs> and uh, and you know, uh, killing things on the african plains to me that didn't really sit well with what the doctor normally stands for it, it seems strange that he didn't get a ticking off at any point well i i think we have to ask why was that character there um and i and i think he's there to do the things the Doctor can't, which is mm-hmm. handle guns in, in a similar role, perhaps, to Jack in, in Series mm-hmm. 1. And also, we have to remember, this Doctor is 1,200 years old. He's had 200 years of, of, of wandering around uh, since the end of, what was it, Season 6, I think. Mm. So he has got a new outlook on life. You know, the Doctor doesn't exist after he's been wiped from the universe's consciousness or or at least the universe believes him to be dead Uh, therefore he can do things in a slightly different way perhaps and the doctor has always been interested in engaging people even if he doesn't approve of what they do 
Um, but he might be more accepting of what was acceptable in the time the character of Riddell grew up in and, and, and lived. Uh, but I know what you mean. It is somewhat out of character, not not as much of out of character as, as, as something else that we'll talk about later that concludes the episode, <laughs> which I'm sure you know where we're going with that. But um, but yeah, I, I, I bought it. it. It wasn't a major problem for me. No, it didn't sit comfortably with me. And it, it was that initial meeting where he, he pops up to, to gather him up for this mission. Uh, and it, it was it was, as they say in Liverpool, it seemed as if they were busy mates. Uh, and that they'd had lots and lots of adventures together. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. I would have liked to have seen him pull him up on on you know, what he'd chosen as a career at, uh, at some point. Well, yes, I suppose that that's fair enough, particularly as there's a fairly big turning point where the character, and again, I forget the name of the actor, I'm afraid, uh, is the guy who played Solomon, uh, David Bardsley? David Bradley. Someone? Bradley, that Bradley, that's it. Um, where he turns around and shoots a triceratops, and of course, you know, there's a that there's a point there. The doctor is clearly angry, and if you think that's what Riddell does day in day out, then yes, there is a slight contradiction there. Yeah. Two elements that we've yet to discuss that uh, I think we really should. Um, the first of which is Mark Williams' character, Rory's father. What did you make of him? Uh, yeah, I thought he, he's quite believable uh, as, as being Rory's dad. There's, there's a shot when they're, where they're on the beach and they discover the terminal and, and there's the, the camera shot where they're staring into the camera uh, uh, looking at the, at the monitor screen. And, and you're looking from one to the other and you think, yeah, that's, that's a nice bit of casting. Uh, that They are believable as being, uh, well, one being the descendant of the other. Uh, and that's always, you know, as well as getting someone who's good to play the role, uh, it, it's nice. It's nice to get that kind of th- th- that it looks right as well. And as for Mark Williams uh, as a performance, yeah, he's spot on. He um, he's a bit of comic relief. Uh, he's very believable as as the, as a, a dad that I would know. Um, I think everybody knows a dad. It was a, the nice. It was a nice uh, opening sequence where he's uh, he's mending the light bulb. He's doing he's doing the practical things that you know that a stereotypical dad will do. Um, uh, and then is, is surrounded by the TARDIS, and you get that nice. It's always nice when you get someone who is a bit bamboozled by by the whole just being picked up by the Doctor and dropped off. And that was done very nicely, uh, very succinctly. Sometimes they can drag it on a little bit too much. Um, yeah, I, I, I approve entirely. I, I don't even remember the what the guy looked like who played him initially in uh, the end of Tell in the series five. Well, in fact, I mean, the Doctor even says, "Nice to meet you." So, and he has met him before. And uh, so it's, it's a little bit of a strange because there is, there is an introduction scene just after they materialise on the spaceship. Um, the Doctor and Brian shake hands, etc. But uh, I, I thought there's a couple of interesting things about the character's introduction. First of all, you've got that age-old question of how many Doctor Who fans does it take to change a light bulb? And here you have Doctor Who actors trying to change a light bulb, but eventually saying, nah, it's the fitting, we give up, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but, but secondly, I thought the character... Uh, as, as you say, in addition to all of the things that you say, which I agree with largely, I mean, very convincing um, father to Rory. Uh, but I felt he was Stephen Moffat's attempt at Wilf. And I think he'll probably have a slightly more involved uh, storyline later on because he's very cute. Uh, you empathise with him. And, you know, the, the relationship, I think, between Rory and... Sorry. 
and the relationship he has with his son is quite similar if in, in, in terms of impact on the audience that Donna's relationship to her grandfather had. Now, if you consider what a dire story Wilf had to go out on, we're talking about the end of time here, and yet Bernard Cribbin's performance was spectacular. It was a shame it was just wasted in such an appalling story. I wonder whether Moffat is going to try and do it properly. He's already rectified some mistakes made with the Daleks, you know, in, in Asylum. So perhaps he's going to attempt to do that with um, some good ideas that RTD had, but never actually made work really, really well. So that, that could be controversial, perhaps, but we'll, we'll wait and see. I expect the character of Brian, because we are going to see him again um, in another Chibnall episode, I think. I wonder whether he's going to be contributing to the heartbreak that Moffat was uh, talked about. Um, you know, family life and family dynamics always have the ability, if if shown correctly on screen, to really pull at the heartstrings. Um, so we'll we'll have to have to wait and see. But but on the whole, yeah, I I thought Mark Williams' performance was extremely strong, and I think he's probably gonna contribute a little bit more to this story than we've seen in this episode. I would think so. Yeah, I mean, casting someone uh, who. Well, I say again, certainly over uh, over here, but then he is um, well known for the Harry Potter films now. Someone with such a high profile, yeah. uh, you're going to be doing something with that character, I would say. I think you, it'd be a bit of a waste if you didn't, certainly. And, and you know, you look at the last five minutes, technically he's a companion. He's been to hmm. Rio, Pisa, the Taj Mahal, Siluria, sent postcards from, <laughs> from each of these areas. I wonder what um, postcard shop in Siluria sells pictures of dinosaurs and TARDIS. <laughs> I think the Siluria postcard was from the Doctor. I think that was him. That's where he had uh, uh, gone and, and settled the dinosaurs. You reckon? What I'm taking Van Gogh with him to draw the postcard? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that was uh, that wasn't from uh, Rory's dad. I, I think that was the Doctor sending them a postcard to say, "Look, found a nice planet for the dinosaurs." Oh yeah, you're probably correct. <laughs> yes, well done. I just missed that. Thank you very <laughs> much indeed. <laughs> anyway, I think that may be everything that the DWP has to say about dinosaurs on a spaceship for the time being, at least. Sadly, Trevor and Michelle haven't been able to see this episode quick enough in order to take part in this review and Tom and Ian have not been around this week either hopefully one of those two UK based hosts will be with us next time to review A Town Called Mercy which once again will be online minutes after the episode transmits here in the UK so so be sure to join both Lisa and I Ian and possibly Tom as well for that particular episode another resounding uh, positive review from the dwp we need we, we maybe need to sort this out yeah it's a little bit strange i mean we've given two fairly positive reviews to two stories in a row and I, I i was thinking back over this actually this past week i don't remember ever watching a series certainly the first two stories within a series and liking both of them pretty much with only minor niggles in both yeah, this is a very, very strong start to the series. And it's everything they promised it would be. They're, they're nice, self-contained stories. They feel they feel epic. Uh, and, uh, well, so far they feel epic. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to, uh, to Doctor Who doing a Western again uh, next week. Mm. Yeah. Hi- high hopes for Toby Whithouse. I had low hopes, as I think a lot of people do, for Chris Chibnall. But I think he's, he's pulled possibly his best script for Doctor Who so far out of the bag for this one. Yeah, not only his best script, but his most zany and crazy script as well. And I agree, I think it's uh, I think it's paid off. This is me, Robot One, saying 
Goodbye. 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 And that's enough. That's enough. This is me, Robot 2, saying my goodbye is better than his. And see you next week. Cheery out. Cheery out. Cheery out. Bye for now. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.